one thing. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done. We as Republicans need to unite to accomplish something. I think we can do it if we unite. It may or may not be exactly everything we want, but we can damn well defend or enforce the president to defend the border and stop the flood. If we can't do that, who's going to do it? There are literally only 220 people in the entire world who can stand up to the president right now, and you're looking at them in Congress. All right, folks, we are on a glide path to the weekend. It is already Friday Eve here on The Sean Spicer Show, the first Friday Eve of 2024. Um, You know, I think I could go for this having Mondays as holidays all year long. Maybe once a month? Come on, let's find some common ground here. Uh, It makes the week go by so much better, and it kind of gets me prepared for the weekend. Anyway, uh, a lot to break down. Uh, You had a lot of members, 60-plus members down in Texas checking out what's happening down there. I think uh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, But the fallout from Harvard continues to come. The interesting thing about this, as we all know, this all started when those three college university presidents – MIT, Penn, and Harvard all testified in front of the House Education Committee about what was going on with respect to anti-Semitism. This was not a hard thing. These guys are university presidents, but this wasn't like a gotcha moment. All you had to do was say, yeah, we don't support anti-Semitism and we do everything we can. And yet it was a challenge for all of them. So first out of the barrel, the UPenn president resigns because she couldn't say that you can't target Jewish Students, you can't call for the genocide of Jewish people. Oh my God. And the simple question was, if you replace the word Jew with black, would it be equally offensive? And the ridiculous answer we kept getting was, well, it depends. What? What do you, I mean, seriously, by the way, this gets totally overlooked. These people paid communications consultants, like high powered dudes from New York to come and, and actually, one was a dudette uh, who's advised, you know, a lot of people in crises. And yet, they still blew it. They blew it. And so the fallout continues. Now, as I said, the UPenn president, she went first. That was easy. Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, was hanging on. Now, the problem was it was one thing to weather that one crisis, that one storm. But as people dug in, it wasn't just that, which was bad enough and she should have been fired for that and all the DEI policies, boom, gone. But they didn't want to let her go. She was the first black female president, right? The problem was, is that what kept happening was you had all these plagiarism allegations and they weren't just allegations. And the board, this it's called like the corporation or something at Harvard. It's a bunch of like 12 out of touch elites. They were like, they started to call it something else. It was like selective word choice. This is plagiarism. You you get kicked out of the school if you didn't do this before. Deans and professors, like why was she so special? They were literally making up new words to cover for her misdeeds. So the thing that I found fascinating uh, as sort of the next iteration of this 
was how the media was going to cover it. Let me just show you how Politico covered this. Look at the top there in that story. How the right toppled Harvard's president. How the right toppled her? Toppled her? She toppled herself. She toppled herself over and over again. She literally just had to answer one question. When Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman from New York, said, is it against Harvard's code of conduct to call for the genocide of the Jewish people? Yes, it is. Just like it would be for anyone else. Okay, next, move on. She said it depends. Uh, that's not the right toppling Harvard's president. That's her not answering a simple question, a layup a no-brainer. This is not tough. All right, guys, let me ask you a question. Are you tired of testosterone-boosting products that don't work? I get it. I don't blame you. That's why our sponsor, Nugenics Total Tea, has an idea for you. Why don't you try it before you buy it? What a great idea. If you text 231-231 and enter the word SPICER, you will get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. Uh, it's got testophen in it, which will help you turn back the clock and become that old you, that younger you, the vibrant you that you remember that guy. Well, that's what it'll help you do. Uh, and if it works for you, great, keep going. If it doesn't, you lost nothing. You get a complimentary bottle by texting 231-231, entering keyword Spicer. You're gonna get back that energy that muscle, that drive, that passion that you used to have. And remember, this is the number one doctor-recommended brand and the number one selling testosterone booster product at both GNC and at Walmart. They're on to something, right? People know what's happening here. But because you watch this show, you can get that complimentary bottle by texting 231-231, enter code word SPICEL. And if you do this right now, you get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea uh, as well as the Nugenics Thermo X. Now, this is their newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever. It's got key ingredients to help get rid of that stubborn fat. And you know what I'm talking about. This is New Year's week. We've had been eating a lot of stuff. You need to get to this, right? Uh, so if you do that, you get both of these right now. Uh, this complimentary bottle, text 231-231, enter keyword Spicer. Now, remember, uh, texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. It is the number one doctor-recommended brand by primary care physicians based on an independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022. This is what the Associated Press, the AP, this is like the standard, folks. They have a book, the AP Style Guide. Every reporter looks at them as to how to write, the words you use, what you're not supposed to use. And the Associated Press is at the top of the pyramid when it comes to journalism, supposedly. This is their headline. Harvard's president resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges. Plagiarism. Our weapon? Conservative's weapon? <laughs> what is this, nuts? Somehow this is like a one, like, hey, uh, plagiarism, let's just go get them. Y you don't, get to weaponize plagiarism unless the person has plagiarized. I mean, I get it. It's the thing on the right, right? Joe Biden, how many times has he done that? That was, remember his first campaign in the 80s? He got caught for plagiarizing that British politician's speech about the university. Ironically, it was about universities. Him saying, I can't believe I'm the first politician to go and my wife, and it's not because I'm smarter and better. And then Biden copied it. 
I mean, maybe plagiarism is something that we use to topple, but it wasn't us that undid that. It wasn't any other person on the right. It was literally her own writings. She did it to herself. This is unbelievable. So just for the record, of the two, of the three, now two are gone and one, one is remaining. Um, so we'll see. But the other thing that was really interesting that I want to talk about is the fact that donors started to take money back from Harvard. That's the big nut of this. I mean, let's face it, it's all about money and power when it really comes down to decisions. And so clearly, whatever's going on at MIT, they're not pulling their money. The donors aren't. But Harvard was losing a lot of money in stature. And the board, I mean, I think Claudine Gay at one point realized it. But let's just not cry too much, too, by the way, for her, because she's still, just like UPenn, remember, they stepped down from these positions. They're still faculty members. They're still getting like a couple hundred grand. This isn't like they're getting relish to go teach, you know, at, at some junior high in Podunkville. They're staying on Harvard campus and the other one's staying at UPenn. They're getting their salary and their benefits, their sabbaticals and their tenure and their time off and their, they get to go to the club and do whatever. I mean, this is not like they're suffering at all. So let's not get too bad. But uh, the other big news yesterday was the Epstein plane logs. Everyone was waiting for those to come out. How many people were going to be on them? Who was going to be the big surprise? How many times was Bill Clinton on the plane? There is an, a judge issued a 30-day stay. They have until January 22nd to make the case. But the problem is the judge is sympathetic to a lot of these people saying, you were innocently caught up before your name comes out. And, and so people are trying to make the case to the judge about why certain things shouldn't come out or whatever. But it seems like there's some powerful people trying to stop this list from coming out. We'll see. Um, anyway, but back to the border. 60 members of Congress went down to the border to check it out, to see what was happening. I'm glad they did. I think the more that we can highlight this and and talk about the problem, not just the 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 illegal immigration and the impact. I mean, three million people. The Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is saying are awaiting a, a, a court date, awaiting a court date for asylum years from now, which ninety something percent will never show up. Well, we're going to talk to um, Chip Roy about this. And he has been leading the fight. The congressman from Texas sent this letter to his colleague. Let me just read part of it before we bring him in. We continue to sustain waves of over 10,000 people a day, often single adult males and increasingly from all over the world, coming with the knowledge that the federal government is releasing them. Pre-wave reports indicated 5,000 a day are falling, failing to apprehend them. Data indicates we are approaching 2 million gotaways. That's an addition to the 3 million I mentioned. These are the ones that just disappear, poof, into the society. Under President Biden, worse the result is the known release of dangerous criminals and terrorists, as well as millions of doses of deadly fentanyl and other narcotics, killing tens of thousands of Americans, all while empowering enemies like China, Russia, Iran, and dangerous Mexican drug cartels. This is a problem that we must deal with. And Chip Roy has been leading the charge in the House to his colleagues. Uh, I want to talk to him about that. And then he is going out to Iowa to campaign for Ron DeSantis. I want to ask him about why he's doing that and whether or not everything is on the line for Ron DeSantis. There's so much to get into on this border crisis, though, and whether or not we should be impeaching the Secretary of Homeland Security for the dereliction of duty that he has committed with respect to this massive invasion. And that's what it is, an invasion. 
So without further ado, I want to bring in Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Congressman Roy, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time. Glad to be on, Sean. Happy New Year. All right, look, uh, I want to talk about Iowa, and uh, I know yeah. you're out there with Governor DeSantis, so I want to talk about that, but I can't not start with the border. This is something that you've been yeah. uh, a big leader on for quite some time. You sent a letter to your colleagues uh, that I just want to read at least the start from it says, so I'm obliged to inform you of my duty to refuse to fund or otherwise empower the United States government or any foreign government it is supporting unless and until it fulfills its constitutional obligation to defend our borders from invasion as required in our Republican form of government and make the people of Texas whole for its breach of duty. Those are strong words. You have not minced words in the past. What are you going to do to back it up? Well, that's the core question, Sean. I mean, right now uh, on our southern border, as we speak, I'm in D.C. right now meeting with my staff, uh, trying to figure out how to lay out what we can do over the next two weeks. But I'm look, I'm, I'm proud of Mike Johnson, and, and he's demonstrating leadership, taking a block of Republicans down to the southern border. I have no beef with that. But I'm not there because I've met with everybody in the border. I've been to the border. I've been there dozens of times. Yesterday morning, I was talking to sheriffs and law enforcement and border patrol and mayors and people in South Texas. And they're basically telling me, Congressman, it's time. I mean, we need to shut down the border or shut down the government. Do whatever you can, whatever it takes. We can no longer take these numbers. Sean, you saw December, 302,000 apprehensions. November was 300,000 apprehensions. At that pace, we're talking 3.6 million apprehensions. That's not counting the gotaways, which are like 50,000 a month. We are absolutely an abject failure right now in terms of being a sovereign nation with a secure border, and we're endangering our citizenry. The federal government has an obligation to do their job. They're not. So to answer your question, we only have one serious tool as members of Congress, the power of the purse. I hate that we're in this position, that our president is completely lawless and that the Secretary of Homeland Security is completely lawless, but it's true. So we have to not do this for political purposes. We can't just say, oh, we'll win elections if we just fight, but we'll figure it out next January. No, we have an obligation right now to actually stop them. So we need to withhold funding and force Biden to the table. There's no other choice. It's now or never. All right, folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know I was, right? You've got real estate, maybe some stocks, a bunch of other things, a 401k, an IRA. But how are financial metals part of that? Because you look at the price of gold, the price of silver, so many of the other precious metals, how they've done over time, it's a smart bet. And the folks at Bishop Gold Group can sit down with you and talk to you about how to convert an IRA, a 401, whatever it is, just make it part of your planning. I did it. I sat down, I talked to them about what made sense for me. I got precious metals as part of my portfolio now. And here's the thing, you can keep them, they can keep them. You will sit down with the folks at Bishop Gold Group and come up with a plan that's right for you, depending on how much you have, what you want, where you want to store it. Whenever you're ready to cash it in, you call them back and say, hey, here's what I have. I need to cash it out. They'll make that happen. That's the beauty. These are folks that I know, that I trust, that I talk to. So if you want to join me, then go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get a special promotion for kicking off your journey to financial freedom uh, and diversification with Bishop Gold Group and Precious Metals. Or you can call 844-984-1616. But go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to see how you can make Precious Metals part of your financial freedom journey. Thanks. 
You know, I know you folks in Texas uh, love making note of this, but I, I grew up in Rhode Island. I had a Texas roommate. Yeah. He used to inform me that there are counties in Texas bigger than Rhode Island. But Rhode Island's True. full size is just over a million people. And the Secretary yeah. of Homeland Security was doing a series of interviews, and he talks about the fact that there are three million people in this country now that we know about that are waiting to have their asylum case adjudicated. And he admits, this isn't Republican talking points, that it's gonna take years before those people ever have an asylum case. The thing that I find interesting is that what the, what the Biden administration seems to be asking for is more money so that they can process more people into this country, not so that they can stop them at the border from coming in the first place. No, that's right, Sean. And, and put it in perspective, yeah, you're right. The King Ranch is in fact bigger than is Rhode Island. <laughs> but, you, you know, look, looking at the numbers, though, right, like a million people, what you're just talking about, um, we basically are letting in a million people over the course of three months. How about this perspective? The Rose Bowl the other day with uh, the, the great football game played there between Michigan and, and Alabama, 92,000 people. We let more than three times that be apprehended in December alone. Think about that. And so to your point, we have people that are on a backlog that are given dates as late as 2035. That's 11 years from now when they're supposed to show up for the adjudication of their claim to asylum or whatever their claim is. That's outrageous. And everybody in the world knows it. And the vast majority of the people that are flooding our border know it. And they're being released under asylum or parole. Now you have people, particularly in Arizona, I've seen the numbers there, that are wildly coming from all over the world, not Mexico, not the Northern Triangle, but Africa, from places all over the world. And that is a, a direct um, danger to our citizenry. We know we have found known terrorists. We found known criminals. Um, that's why we need to use every tool at our disposal as members of Congress and put politics aside. I had a member of Congress that said, Chip, it's bad politics. We're going to risk Border Patrol pay. First, we can pass a bill that would pay Border Patrol and troop pay tomorrow. We should do that. Second, the American people want us to stand up and fight. They get the joke. They get the drill. A guy named Thad Cleveland, he's a, uh, a sheriff in South Texas, used to be Border Patrol. He told me just yesterday, Chip, we will get paid. Border Patrol will get paid. We know that. Go fight for us. They get it and they want us to go fight for the country. So you, you, you know in this letter that you sent to your colleagues, and we've put it up on the screen, that you drew a line and said that, that when it comes to the border, passing H.R. 2, which is that border security bill, is something that Republicans have come together, they've accomplished, and now we need to deliver. Yeah. Let, me, let me just read from the letter. It says, now we Republicans have a duty to use the power of the purse described by James Madison in Federalist 58 to end the abuse of power by President Biden and to force both the immediate end to the illegal flow and the permanent improvement of our border security laws. This means we must make funding for the federal government operations contingent on the president signing HR2 or its functional equivalent into law and stop the flow of border. I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, at some point, that's the whole point of the power of the purse. But, yeah. but from your conversations that you've had, where do you think, I mean, no Democrats are going to join you. And you are now down to a two-seat majority, sh shortly to be a one-seat majority when your colleague from Ohio, Bill Johnson, formally uh, resigned, which he moved up just the other day. It's now going to be the first, you know, a couple, couple more days now. But when that happens, you have to have almost unanimity within the conference. Do you have it? Well, we'll see. I mean, that's one of the jobs of the speaker. And, and you know, my job is to go out here and plant the flag where I think we ought to go. 
frankly, I think we did a great job of that last year. It's one of the reasons I disagreed with some of my, you know, conservative flank colleagues in the fall uh, when they moved forward with the with the motion to vacate. And frankly, when they all, some of them voted against the bill that we put forward, that would have been a continuation of funding at a cut. It would have cut government funding and passed HR2. I think we should have done that. Well, we didn't get there. Remember what we did last year when we were united? We passed HR2, the most conservative, strongest border security bill we've ever passed. You know well, we didn't get that done when we had Trump in the White House, when we had the House and the Senate. We got it done last year. Conservatives and the entire delegation uniting to get it done. We passed limit save grow that put caps in place that if we'll follow right now would constrain the bureaucracy. We did a lot of great things united for the first six to eight months last year. But at the end of the day, we need to reunite to finish this year out, finish this Congress out, delivering for the American people. They want us to deliver on holding spending in check and securing the border of the United States. We can do that if we unite and hold Biden's feet to the fire. I hope we will. So we've seen hard left, hard blue city mayors like Eric Adams capitulate. They're saying we can't handle it anymore. Oh, my gosh, you sent a busload of migrants to us. Uh, So they've started to feel this. Do you get the sense from your Democratic colleagues in the House that they're at least feeling it a little as well? Or is it just these big city mayors and governors that are finally feeling it? Well, I think my House colleagues, uh, Democratic colleagues, are feeling it uh, based on the conversation I'm having, but they don't want to admit it yet. They've got left flank problems, uh, the left flank that very much wants to continue to have open borders. Uh, it's purposeful, right? I mean, this is about frankly, changing the electorate and undermining, more importantly, Western civilization, undermining our values as Americans by flooding the zone with people. I don't know if everybody knows this. We currently have about 49 and a half million people who are foreign born in our country. That's about 15%. That's one five, 15%. That's at the highest level in the history of our country. That's about the levels in the late 19th century when we had the boom from Ireland and parts of Europe. So we've got about 15%. That doesn't count the kids of those people, which puts the number closer to 25%. But we're not teaching American children now to love America, love the Constitution, love Western values. We're not a Christian or Judeo-Christian society where we're all building around the same culture and values. We now have a total change that's occurring in a flood of the zone, and it's purposeful. You don't need to look any further than these Ivy League institutions at Harvard and all the crap that we're seeing there with now the resignation of the president and what they really want to see happen with our society. We've got to constrain it, hold the line, secure the border, get control, operational control, and reclaim our sovereignty, or we're going to lose this country. You use the word purposeful. I have believed for a while that we know policies that will affect the flow of borders, right? There are, this is, we have created a magnet that is giving people hope to come, not just from Mexico, but not from South America, but from India and all over the globe. They believe through the actions and words and and uh, image that this administration projects, that the border is open and that they are welcome to come. And until we stop it and shut it off, that they're going to continue to come. I believe that if this administration wanted to send the signal, they could. They could have remain in Mexico. They could change asylum policies. They choose not to because I truly believe, and you use the word purposeful, but I want you to explain it. I believe that this is part of a greater plan by them, meaning that they just, they look at this as a the, the next wave of voters, that they believe that they'll come into this country in five, 10 years, they give them DACA, then they put them on a path to citizenship. Do you, do you believe that? Because I can't find another reason why you would create the policies that you do if it wasn't part of a greater plan. 
Yeah, no, I do believe that, right? I mean, you have to, you don't have to go any further uh, than the deputy White House press secretary a few years ago saying that, quote, it's a new liberal world order, right? And that that is a lack of barriers, a lack of, of a sovereignty, a lack of actual country lines. They just believe in sort of a world order. Look at the World Health Organization. Look at the way they are trying to carry out activities during COVID. Look at the extent to which they want to have the United Nations be the ones that are making decisions as we're dealing with all these issues abroad in the Middle East and in Russia and China. And this is the fact that we've got to deal with that right now our sovereignty is being exploited. And it's purposeful, the reasons you just described, for electoral purposes. It's purposeful. Take, for example, uh, with respect to how we district and, and, and we do apportionment, the representation in Congress. Illegal uh, aliens are counted in that, right? So it changes the entire makeup in terms of cities, in terms of locations. Texas is both a, we get hit by it, but we're also the beneficiary of having more members of Congress, as is California. That's not the way that ought to be. We ought to have represent representatives that are representing citizens. We ought to have people here who are legal permanent residents, visiting our country, guest workers, sure. But we ought to know who they are. They ought to be here on a limited basis or on a path to being able to become a citizen if they came here through the legal channels. But we've gotten rid of all that because leftists, progressives, want to destroy Western civilization. That's it. That's it in a nutshell, Sean. They don't like Western civilization. They don't like Judeo-Christian values. They don't like the Constitution. They don't like limited government. This is all designed to break that down. We've got to hold the line for our, our children and grandchildren. So the House is looking at impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of, of Health, I mean, excuse me, Homeland Security. Do you think that that's a productive use of time or will whomever replaces him just continue to implement the same policies? Well, look, I think Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached because of his failure to faithfully execute the laws of the United States, his failure to follow the Constitution, and uh, his endangerment of the people because of his actions. Um, is it a good use of time? I, I don't know. It's our job, right. right? I don't think it should take that much time. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. We presented the case. We had a vote. Eight congressmen, Republican members, voted against it. I think they were mistaken. I have great respect for a number of them and, and my colleagues who come to different agree, uh, positions, but I just disagree. He's very clearly violated his oath to the Constitution and to follow the laws. He lied to me under oath. He's blaming Texas. Americans are, are, are dying from fentanyl poisoning as a result of open borders. He's empowering cartels, empowering our enemies, allowing terrorists to come in. Of course, he should be impeached. That is not maladministration. It is the purposeful dereliction of his duty. But we're going to go chase rainbows, like trying to convince four or five of my colleagues to go vote for it. I don't know. Right now, I want to focus on forcing Biden to the table by not funding the very bureaucracy, including my orcas, that's undermining us because he probably would be replaced by somebody equally bad. But to be very clear, of course, we should impeach him. Uh, we should just put another vote on the floor. It doesn't take much time. Put a vote on the floor and see where everybody yep. goes. Um, before coming to Congress, you served as, as the number two person in the Texas Attorney General's office. Mm -hmm. Do you think the actions that Governor Abbott is taking right now to assert Texas's right to expel illegals from Texas is is lawful? Yeah, I do. And I, look, I want to commend Governor Abbott, Lieutenant uh, Governor Patrick, Attorney General Paxton for all the work they've been doing to try to hold the line and fight for Texas when the federal government is failing to do its duty. I do think it's lawful. I think the Constitution uh, requires uh, under our Republican form of government that uh, that the federal government protect our borders uh, and secure our, um, our, our you know, lives here within the borders of, of Texas and the entire country. But importantly, they're supposed to quell any invasion. People say, well, shit, this is not an invasion with like tanks and guns. Well, first of all, there's a lot of dangerous individuals coming across our border. A lot of people dying from fentanyl poisonings, a lot of terrorists, a lot of criminals, uh, cartel organizations, which are various 
uh, basically terrorist-like organizations are all flooding our border. So yes, it's an invasion. They have a duty under the Constitution to uh, secure our border. They're not. So I think Greg Abbott has the power and the duty to defend Texas as the governor of Texas. And absolutely, with the laws that the legislature have now given him, of course he should defend it. But instead, the federal government is in the Supreme Court saying that they need to have DOJ and have uh, DHS have the authority to cut razor wire, the concertina wire. They're going to go fight us on the law that we just passed to say that we should be able to deport people. Texas is going to have to stand up and basically tell the federal government to pound sand if the federal government refuses to do its yeah, job. Yeah, I do love the fact that the White House continues to maintain that there's not an open border and yet the Department of right. Justice is suing Texas to cut the wire open to allow, I right. mean, there, I don't think it takes more than like a second degree education to realize that's right. the definition of open. It's literally like saying, I need to go to court to be able to kick your door open to allow anyone to yep. walk in your house, but it's not open. <laughs> it just doesn't pass the cell test. No, it doesn't at all. And, and, that's, and that's the reality. My orcas went on TV today on another network, or he went on in, uh, Fox and he said, uh, if this, this open border is Texas's fault. Literally. The Secretary of Homeland Security said that in a, in a, I don't know, a press conference and on national TV, which tells you the framework of where they're coming from. They don't believe in the rule of law. They don't believe in their duty to secure the border. And uh, they're frankly allowing our border to be exploited for crass political purposes in the false name of compassion. And it's actually the least compassionate thing you can do while these little girls get sold to sex trafficking trade. Americans die from fentanyl poisoning. Migrants die in tractor trailers like the 53 who cooked in the Texas heat last year in the summer in San Antonio. The thousand who died along the Rio Grande. It's all absolutely appalling. And uh, this administration should be held to it. All right, folks, longtime listeners to the show are going to know about Delta Rescue, deltarescue.org, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the world. It was founded by my friend, Leo Grillo. And Leo basically one day found a Doberman that was in need of serious help and nutrition. He rescued that Doberman. He named the Doberman Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. It's become Leo's mission and what Delta Rescue does every single day for all sorts of animals. Go to deltarescue.org. Take a look at the videos and the material there. They rely solely on our contributions. If you're an animal lover, go check out deltarescue.org and tell me that you just can't see how what great work they do and why we should be helping them. Um, I've rescued three dogs myself. I know what it's like uh, to go out there and help them. This is a no-kill sanctuary for life. It's a mission for them. And they rely solely on our contributions. So five, 10, 100 bucks, whatever you can give is super helpful. But more importantly, Leo wants to make this an enduring cause, something that we don't have to worry about just funding month to month, year to year, forever to make sure that the work of Delta Rescue lives on. They've got an estate planning package on their website, deltarescue.org. Aside from the videos and all the testimonials, go check out that estate planning guide and see if you can make it part of your enduring mission when you pass to make Delta Rescue part of your estate planning. Check it out, download it. It's all free. They can help you walk through it. Please visit deltarescue.org. If you're an animal lover like me, you're going to want to do this. Thank you. Now so let me just ask you last, like to, to kind of wrap this up on, on, on tactically. You're right. I mean, the, the Constitution gives the House the power of the purse. Any senator yep. on the flip side could actually, you know, filibuster the stuff. I, I get you, you had a line in your in your letter. I just want to find it because I, I found it so uh, so perfect. Um, 
And this is how you end the, this. And, and I, I love it because it sums it up. If we choose not to fight, we will be guaranteed to fail and so will America. And this is what I believe the fundamental problem to some degree of when Republicans have the majority is they look back and they go, gosh, well, it never works out that way or the Senate will veto it or the Senate is gonna say no. It's like, for goodness sake, fight, fight. Show people that you really care. I believe the same thing on spending. I, I told Kevin McCarthy this, uh, several months ago, show us that you actually care. You don't have to get 100% every time, but be willing to fight a little. And I, I, I wonder, is there enough fight in the House representative and, in, and even among a handful of senators to say, it's enough if we don't fight for this, if we're not willing to shut the government down. And I, I again, I would commend people. We'll put the letter up. I'll link to it in uh, on our YouTube page. So they can go to your homepage um, on your house.gov uh, website to see it because you lay out a strategy too that says, hey guys, it's not all just, oh my God, it will, the government will shut down. We can pay the border patrol. We can pay these people. Yep. We can do this in a smart yep. and strategic way. But the question I have for you is, do you think that beyond you, there's going to be a group of people willing to stand behind you and say, yes, Chip Roy, you're right. We'll fight with you. Well, I hope so. And, and look, I want to be very clear. I mean, Republicans have been great this Congress when we've been united and we have been united and done great things like passing H.R. 2, passing CAPS, uh, passing a strong national defense bill last summer before it got watered down in this process in December. So we can do it when we're united. Secondly, in September, we had a large number of the, of the entire conference ready to pass a bill that would cut spending and pass H.R. 2, send it over to the Senate and go into a shutdown. Unfortunately, it was like 20 of my conservative colleagues who were the ones who objected because they didn't think it went far enough. They were right. wrong. I'm an equal opportunity basher here of my conservative, you know, moderate, whatever members. We as Republicans need to unite to accomplish something. I think we can do it if we unite. It may or may not be exactly everything we want, but we can damn well defend or enforce the president to defend the border and stop the flow. If we can't do that, who's going to do it? There are literally only 220 people in the entire world who can stand up to the president right now, and you're looking at them in Congress. We have an obligation to do it. We should do it. And if we will unite, we can actually get it done, in my opinion. Um, and we'll see. I think the vast majority of Republicans want to hold up and stand up the fight to do it. But we're going to have to see what happens over Look, the next I, few weeks. I, I'm not a big name, name kind of guy. I, I just, but this is one that there's no country. If you can't secure your border, then we don't exist. And this is with the, the right. I mean, spending should unite us, deficit reduction, cutting taxes. But for God's sake, the only thing that matters, none of it matters. You don't have economic freedom. You don't have anything if you can't have a border. And I just hope to God that enough people are willing to fight with you because I, I just, without border security without maintaining who comes in and comes out. We've heard about the fentanyl and the human trafficking, but the terrorists, the threats that we face. After 9-11, I just cannot believe that this is even a discussion. This should be a no-brainer. And I hope to God that we do this. Before I pivot to, to politics, which I want to get to, one yeah. last question for you. I've been meaning to ask you this forever yeah. uh, since, you, since you did it, but you were on the floor a few weeks ago. I'm going to play this quickly for the audience. When is this going to stop? When are my Republican colleagues going to put up or shut up? One thing. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing. One. 
that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done. You, you asked your Republican colleagues what you guys have accomplished. I sensed a bit of frustration when you made that comment. I understand it because of the border in particular and some other issues. But reflecting on that now, do you still believe that Republicans haven't accomplished anything as a majority? So let me be very clear, and, and I want to, because it's important to be clear. In the speech that I gave, and that was the week before Thanksgiving, right? So now it's like a month and a half ago. I gave that speech in the wake of our passing yet another continuing resolution at the spending levels Nancy Pelosi set and that Republicans almost universally decried and opposed less than a year before that moment. I stood up and on the floor and I said, what one thing are we going to be able to say okay. we did? Name one thing. And my Republican colleagues got frustrated at me for saying that. But I told them the best way to solve that problem is to answer the question. Because we have done some great things, United. We did pass some good bills, HR2, Limited Grow, setting caps, national defense bill. We laid the foundation, but we've been backing away and walking away from the fight. We have one year left in this Congress. I understand if this is across the spectrum. We had some conservative uh, members of Congress, less conservative members of the delegation of the, or of the conference who didn't come to terms and agree on what we needed to do. We need to come together now and force change. We're going to be measured about how much we check this president on his abuse of power, namely by constraining the spending, but importantly right now, securing the border of the United States and stopping the flow. I think we're going to be measured by that. I would argue we've taken great steps, but we, we've got to deliver. And we can't hide behind, oh, we don't have the White House, we don't have the Senate. Sean, do you remember when we had the House, we had the Senate, we had the White House? What did they say? They said, we don't have 60 right. in the Senate. There's always yeah. an excuse. You win when you lead. That's the point. And by God, to my point, get out there and lead and inspire. And if you fall short, People are going to at least say, damn it, they left it all in the field. But if we walk away and we shrug our shoulders and we say, well, we got to go campaign on it. We got to win the White House. Meanwhile, 3.6 million additional apprehensions in 2024, another 2 million, 2.5 million people come into our country released or gotaways. That's insane. We got to stop it now. So that's why I'm, my, that's my speech, the point of my okay. speech deliver at least one thing. <laughs> So we can deliver. Well, and that's why I, I commend you the way you ended that letter, because if you don't fight, it's not worth it. Why do you have a majority if you're not going to fight? Uh, I, right. I do. Speaking of fighting, let's talk to let's talk to politics. We're 11 days out of Iowa. You've put your lot in with Governor DeSantis. Let me just start with sure. the politics of this. I caught up with Governor yeah. DeSantis when we were down at the debate in Alabama, and I asked him, I said, Governor, mm -hmm. you're, you've been all in in Iowa. Are you standing by that? He had made those comments on a Sunday show. He said, yes, we're going to win Iowa. We are 11 days out. Do you still feel confident that Governor DeSantis will win Iowa? Look, look I, I spent a few days with Governor DeSantis in Iowa right before Christmas. Uh, the reaction there is very strong. He's a good man. I support him wholeheartedly. He's done well in Florida. He's been an exceptional governor, one of the best in my lifetime, won by a million and a half votes, won 62% of Hispanic voters, 50% of single female voters. Um, I think the reaction when people are informed and they meet him has been really strong. And I think he will perform well among that group. So it's going to depend on how many people we can reach in the last two weeks. Iowans really pay attention when it gets down to the wire. 
and make sure that when we're caucusing, we do our job. If we do our job, if he does his job, I think he's in a good position. But the polls are what they are. President Trump commands the audience he commands. Governor DeSantis knew that when he ran into this. But I think people want somebody who can look forward, serve for eight years, not look backwards worrying about legal skirmishes, uh, even if they were unfairly directed towards the former president. So here's the question I have for you. Like, you're absolutely right. Look, I was out there for the Iowa State Fair. A lot of kudos to the governor's ground game. Uh, He was definitely up there with President Trump's ground game. And as we know, I was a caucus state. This is about organization. The question that I think is interesting to a lot of people uh, is the governor's ground game was largely outsourced to the never back down super PAC. There's clearly been some turmoil there. How is that, if at all, affecting his ability to turn out the people he needs on caucus night in 11 days? So, uh, The ground game in Iowa right now is actually very effective. And what Never Back Down built over the last year is, is, I think, probably the most far-reaching and aggressive and and uh, well-structured ground game that we've seen in politics. The question now is being able to deploy that uh, right now when when it's game time over the next two weeks. There's a lot of noise being made in the swamp and everything about Never Back Down and some of the politics. That's always the case of super PACs. Like, you've worked in the political world. I've been in the political world. I was with Senator Cruz. I've been in all these different worlds. And this is kind of that problem where you've got this super PAC world and you, you can't control what they're doing. All you can do is set out your structures, run your campaign, and hope that there's some good people over there going to bat for you, doing what they're going to do. And there's a lot of good folks. I've been on the ground with some of the Never Back Down team at events with lots of people showing up and, and uh, the governor showing up, and it's been great. And so, again, this is all about you know getting out there, shaking hands in Iowa, people who care about it. They're the ones who get to decide, not the polls, and we'll see what happens over the next two so, weeks. Let me just ask you this. if, if- you've I'll end with this. You've clearly made a case for Governor DeSantis. You've been impressed by him. Uh, and I get that. If if President Trump or Nikki Haley, for that matter, were to win, would you have a problem with either one of them being your nominee? Look, I'm going to support the Republican okay. nominee. I mean, we're like, we're, this is not a close call. I mean, Joe Biden is shredding our country, shredding the Constitution, undermining our sovereignty, destroying, you know, everything we know about our, our culture and civilization. Um, but I will tell you, I am not overly inspired by the governor from South Carolina saddling up with Wall Street and the big donor types and coddling China and inviting Disney to come to South Carolina and saying we need to bring people over from from uh, the Gaza Strip that might be affiliated with Hamas and Palestinians. Um, some of them work the United Nations. I mean, there's a long, long list of things I'm not particularly fond of there. But look, Nikki Haley's a friend and I've known her and and uh, for a long time. And, and uh, you know, she would be a whole a lot better than Joe Biden. But right now, I believe we ought to get behind Governor DeSantis and former President Trump. We all know former President Trump. Uh, he comes with pros. He comes with cons. And if he's our nominee, I'll, I'll probably get in behind a guy who wants to disrupt the swamp. But uh, but I think Governor DeSantis is a guy who can deliver. I think that uh, we fell short of delivering the things we needed to do the first four years, in part because of the former president's own drama creation. I think Governor DeSantis avoids that. I think Governor DeSantis demonstrates that he can get things done. I want that for eight years. So that's why I'm sticking and and proud to stand behind Governor DeSantis. Congressman Chip Roy, I got to commend you for all the work on the border. Uh, You know, your voice has been the leading one out there. and, And you're exactly right in guiding people into how to do this effectively, uh, both mechanically 
in terms of how to protect the border patrol and the government, but also in terms of the message. We should not be afraid. This is a 100% winner. It's the right thing to do. And your voice is very well needed in this debate. So thank you for that. I appreciate your time today and stay safe in Iowa. Thanks, Sean. God bless. Happy Happy New Year. Year. All right, folks. uh, That was quite a conversation. Now, I know everybody isn't probably entirely on board with who he's supporting for president. Uh, but he has a right to support who he wants, and he's clear that he'll support the Republican nominee. This is going to be interesting because Ron DeSantis is on the, everything is on the line in Iowa. Now, if he comes in close to second, I think he can fight another day, but New Hampshire is going to be tough. So I don't know how he goes on from there. But this is going to be a challenge. Whatever team, Trump team or the DeSantis team organizes the best, is going to be who wins in Iowa. We're 11 days out. This is it, man. This is everything's got to be left on the field. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to have a great, great discussion with Jack Brewer. He is a former NFL player. He's a big supporter of President Trump. Uh, He has been really leading the charge for fatherhood. Uh, And we're going to talk a lot about the NFL culture, what's going wrong in this society um, as far as families and what he is doing. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Continue to subscribe. Thank you for all your support in 2024. Uh, We are going to be here through the thick and thin of it, the conventions, the primaries, the caucuses, the debates, and the general election are all coming your way, and the court cases, for goodness sake. We can't forget that. Uh, So continue to subscribe, spread the word, share it, all uh, help our sponsors out. If you want, you can always text me, 571-441-4991. You can join our community, seanspicershow.com slash VIP. We look forward to seeing you right back here tomorrow. Thanks a lot.